Welcome to Thrive Church Podcast. Join Pastor Kevin Bordeaux as he explores the word giving insightful solutions for day-to-day challenges. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. I've heard verse-by-verse teachings where they never reference the history of the city and what happened. So today I want to do that for you. And look at Acts 16.11, and this is awesome. You're going to see Paul in Philippi. I'm going to give you the the view of this today. Acts 16.11, let's read, and I'll stop and give you some commentary. You know that. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. And they were sailing from city to city on a missionary journey. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and listen, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. What amazes me is Paul can do more in several days than we can do in several years. Do you understand that there's some churches he established in two weeks? can't get some people come to church two weeks out of the month. Y'all supposed to laugh at that because you're like, oh yeah, these people, man, they're crazy. They don't, they never come to church. He had Christ followers who would die for the gospel, right? It's amazing. It blows me away. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. That was a Saturday for them, where we expected to find a place of prayer. And this is, this is the first person you're going to meet is right here, our first convert in the city of Philippi. We sat down and began to speak with the women who had gathered there. Men, that's sad. At the place of prayer, the women gathered. I really believe that if we're going to see a move of God in our country, it's going to take men gathering for prayer, not always wanting the women to go do it. And all the men should have said amen. The women should have said Okay, I'll keep moving on here. Y'all are tough on Father's Day. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. Say Lydia. A dealer in purple cloth. Now you got to realize what purple cloth is. That's like the high class cloth. That's like the nice stuff. She was a fashion designer. So the first lady you meet is a high roller who's a fashion designer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Now realize she was not a Christ follower. She just believed generally in God. She had not heard the gospel yet. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. That should be your prayer for people who are not following Christ. Lord, open their heart to respond to the message. Verse 15. When she and the members of her household were baptized, I love that there, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I bet it wasn't very hard because she realized she was from Thyatira, but she had a house in Philippi, which means that was like her summer home in Philippi. So she was like, she probably had a really nice house and she was really rich. She's like, Paul, why don't you come stay? Sure, we'll stay. I bet there wasn't an argument there. Paul's like, no, 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 we can't. He just spent, you know, spent time on missionary journeys on boats. He was like, sure, I would love to stay at your house. And of course, she persuaded us, as Luke says so eloquently here in the book of Acts. Verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer. So now him and Lydia and the group, the new Christ followers at this house, are going back to prayer. And watch this. A certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Let me just say this. It's often when you're on the way to do something important for God that the enemy steps in. Why is it that every time you go to pray, 
You can't focus. The phone calls come in. Things happen because the enemy does not want you at the place of prayer. But that's not my message today. That's, that's, that's free. And so, so you see here this girl who's a slave um, is being used by a demonic spirit to tell fortunes. That's what I told you last week. Fortune telling is empowered by demonic spirits. Don't play with it. This girl followed Paul and us. And this is Luke saying this. And cried out saying, "These and it sounds good, but watch this. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. Now, now you would think that's pretty good. I mean, she's going around proclaiming the gospel, right? This sounds good, right? Most servants do way of salvation. But here's probably what happened. Paul and his crew come, come walking through Philippi. They're, you know, looking to do some, some, you know, show the gospel, trying to be covert. And as they're walking in, there's a lady, and she says, these are servants of the Most High God! They have the way of salvation! I mean, could you imagine trying to witness somebody and that's happening to you? R- r- right? You're like, hey, I want to share the gospel with you. And this girl comes behind you, and she's yelling this. Right? See, even demons know the gospel. So I'm just because you know the gospel doesn't mean anything. But Paul, greatly annoyed. I love this because I get annoyed all the time, especially driving. So I'm like, you know, if he got annoyed, I can get annoyed. So he's annoyed about demonic spirits. I believe there's some people who have demonic spirits driving in Richmond today. And I'm trying to cast them out while I'm driving. He turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now watch this. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him to the marketplace to the authorities. Now, now the second person we see here that's redeemed is this slave girl who's been abused. She's been used. She's under masters. And she is delivered and set free. Much different than Lydia, right? Lydia's like at prayer. She's a high roller. Got two homes, dealer in purple cloth. And then we see here, this girl is abused. She's hurt. She's going through things, but she's been completely delivered from the power of the enemy. Now watch what happens. This is how Paul gets into jail and he writes this book of Philippians. You wonder, how's he getting in jail? And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Realize they're in a Roman colony. These guys don't like Jewish laws and customs in the Torah. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans to receive or observe. That was the whole battle in Rome. Right? They're like, these Jews are trying to make us do Jewish stuff. That makes Romans really mad. I mean, you say that, it's like Romans just, you know, it's like political parties know what to say about each other, really set things off. And, and, and they're doing that using you know, these, these words, these phrases. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates, watch this, tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and he fastened their feet in the stocks. So they are, are, are there. Now verse 25, we're not going to look at very deeply because you've heard this preach. If you've been in church two weeks or watched TV four or five days, Christian TV, you've heard this sermon preached. The most over-preached sermon of revivals ever. Somebody knows what I'm talking about, right? How many times do you... When the, when the pastor has nothing to preach, he goes with this, right? Uh, listen, I've sat where you sat for many days. I know. But at midnight, Paul and Silas... I want to get my preacher voice here. 
They were praying and singing hymns to God, and their prisoners were listening to them. Um, yeah, let me keep going. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, now watch this, drew his sword, was about to kill himself. Why? Because they did not play back then. You lose a prisoner, you lose your life. So he was like, oh my God, this is it. It's over. Might as well go ahead and kill myself. This is serious. Then he called for a light, ran in. Oh, excuse me. Um, Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. That's some good, good prisoners because I would have, I would have hightailed it out that door and I would have been on milk cartons everywhere looking for me and in post office box places, I would have been gone. Then he called for a light and ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. This is the, the third member of this new church you're going to see. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Man, the best question of a seeker ever. What must I do? And I love this. For all you guys that think people need to do a bunch of stuff to be saved and you have all these laws and judge, judgments for them, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. He says you and your household. Now let, let me explain that just for a second. He doesn't mean because daddy gets saved, the household saved. Uh, young people, just because mama or grandmama follows Jesus don't, doesn't mean you, you do. And their, their eternal life doesn't mean that you have it. Okay? It God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Does that make sense? You can't be living off granddaddy's religion and hoping this. Cause, hey, man, they, they prayed for me. I'm, I'm hoping I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get into the by and by because of what daddy did. But here's what it does mean. When daddy gets saved, the whole house is going to church. See, when mama gets saved, she's got the kids. Dad's going to sit at home and watch football and do nothing and sit in his boxers. But when daddy gets saved, y'all all getting up and bringing your butts to church. So it says, you and your whole household. Then they spoke, and, and, and let me say, that's why we need men to have their hearts stirred by the Lord to lead their homes. And, and I don't mean you got to lead Bible studies and be the, the most eloquent prayer warrior and try to outpray your wife or understand more Bible. Man, just lead the way. Say, I ain't got all the answers, but we're going to church. My grandpa did that. You know, his kids were on drugs their first 19 years of life. You know why? Because they were drugged to church Sunday and Wednesday for their whole life. Because when daddy gets saved, that's your Father's Day message, a whole household needs to come on to church with you. You really, you really see a dad come to church alone. Usually they're dragging the family to church. I love it. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of that night and washed their stripes. It's the jailer washing Paul's stripes. He's, man, you know, he's, he's now got an affection for those guys. He loves them. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. I mean, it's not only like daddy's getting baptized. Y'all all getting baptized. I don't want to. I don't care. In a discussion, you're getting dunked. We are, we are baptizing you today. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God, and now with his whole household. Look at verse 35. I'm going to have five more verses of this. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers, officers to the jailer with this order. Release those men. And then jailer told Paul, Leave those kids alone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> From my Pink Floyd fans. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. That's powerful. That's a miracle right there. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, this is, I love Paul. 
They beat us publicly without a trial. And look at this. Now watch this. This is not in the, really the crux of the message, but you got to catch this. Even though we we're Roman citizens and threw us in prison, they thought Paul and Silas were just Jews. They were Roman citizens, which meant you didn't do that, Roman citizens. So Paul then now tells them that. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? He said, uh-uh, honey, we're going, to, we're going to court. No, let them come ourselves and escort us out and show everyone they did wrong. You go, Paul. Then the officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. I mean, you know, this is great. They started getting letters from lawyers, stuff started coming in. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the city, they went to Lydia's house. Again, they love some Lydia's house. It's like Jesus at Lazarus. I mean, I don't know. They're just hanging out there all the time. Where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. I shared that and I read those verses to you. I often cringe at reading a lot of verses. And I gave you that because I want you to see the story of Philippi. Because you can't understand the book of Philippians if you don't understand the story of what happened there in Philippi. And it's the story of no, no Christ followers in the area. Paul goes in by faith and then God begins to work on people's hearts and people begin to get redeemed. I, I love it. I mean, it's beautiful. And what you have to realize here as you're looking at Paul and Silas and you're kind of looking, it's like I'm carrying you like the, you guys ever watch Scrooge? Yes, you have. Don't, don't, don't say you haven't. You've watched the Christmas, the Christmas Carol. You all watch TV. I know you do. The Lord has told me the things you watch. No, I'm kidding. But it's like I'm walking you by the ghost of Christmas past and we're peering in through what Paul and Silas were doing in Philippi. But let me say to you, just like Paul and Silas, you are all part of this great plan of redemption. And if you've ever used Google Earth, it's kind of like that. You've got to really, if we right now, where we're sitting, could Google Earth this place, and I did before I moved here. I actually Google Earthed it. I did. I looked at it first before I came here. I love Google Earth. I just play on it sometimes, right? You guys don't do that? Okay, okay. I'm glad some of y'all do. Amen. Praise God. There's some holy people in here. But as you zoom out, you start seeing all of the surrounding areas on Google Earth. You start seeing everything intertwine, everything interact. And I want today, I want you to zoom out of your life, your problems, your household, your situation, your feelings. And I want you to, to, to just glimpse at where you're living and where you're working and where God has you because you're part of a bigger plan. You're part of the plan of redemption that God has for mankind. Why does God choose to work through us for redemption? I don't know why. He could just save people if he wanted to, right? For some reason, he uses us. And all of us today need to, need to get out of our problems and get out of everything that's going on and say, Lord, I'm part of a bigger plan called the redemption of mankind. I don't care if you're 12. I don't care if you're 20. I don't care if you're 80. I don't care if you're 50 or stay-at-home mom or school teacher. Wherever you're at, wherever you're working, you're just like where Paul and Silas were at on a plan to see God redeem people. And if you're looking for joy today, and you're saying, man, I want joy. Joy doesn't come because you went to a good church service. Joy doesn't come because the, sing, the, the team sang enough songs that make you feel good. 
Joy literally comes when you look at redemption through God's eyes and you get back to the point of redemption. That's where Paul found his joy from. He was so excited about those people because it was Lydia, it was the slave girl, and it was the jailer. And he, and he was just writing this letter and you read the first eight verses, he is stoked about what God was doing in their hearts. He was so excited about them being redeemed and what was going on. But man, when I look at, at us in church today, we find joy because, we, you know, we're looking for prosperity stuff. And if we get enough money, we'll be joyful. We find joy because we, we meet the right people. or we find, we find joy from everything that God and the apostles, God gave to the apostles that they didn't find joy in. You know, he was in prison and had joy. Why, why can't we have joy? And I'm talking about we as me included. Amen? Why can't I bubble up with just joy every day? And I believe it's because I am not looking with the same eyes Paul looked through. He was so excited. When's the last time you prayed and were excited for people being redeemed? And you see stories of baptism and stories who've been saved and you just weep for joy that God is, is stirring the hearts of individuals. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time that joy flooded from your heart and your life because of God working in the hearts of individuals? And that's where I want to get to. And so there's three points this morning. I'm going to do quickly so you can beat all the, the, the other churches to the buffet line for Father's Day. Some of y'all are like, man, I, I really want to get there first. I've got stuff to do. So three quick points and then I'll send you home about redemption. The first one is this. You can write this in your talk notes. No one is exempt from being qualified for redemption. Now, it sounds very elementary, but just to say it again. No one is exempt from being qualified for redemption. It's the first point that we learn from these passages. I mean, if you look at it, you got Lydia the high roller. Two homes, Thyatira Philippi, seller of purple cloth, fashion designer. You've got the abused slave girl who is possessed by demonic spirit. And then you have this middle class indifferent guy who's just doing his job for the government. He's just punched the clock and he meets Jesus. This church you see here is where God's work in Philippi that no one is beyond being qualified for redemption. And that should bring great joy to us. No one is beyond the saving power of the gospel. And if you want to have joy and be energized by the gospel, look with redemption eyes. I mean, it gives me such joy as I, as I look around at the hardened guy. They're smoking his cigarette and mad and what do you want? You know, and the guy's going in with the two, you know, 12, 12 packs of beer and they slam it on there and buying their, all their stuff. And they're just, Argh. I'm like, yeah, man. I look at them like, God's going to get you and not in a bad way. He's going to grip your heart. He's going to get a hold of you. And when he does, I'm telling you something, your life's going to be changed. you got to look with eyes of redemption and realize that there's no one. That person at work that you can't stand and you believe they're possessed by a demonic spirit, they're not beyond being redeemed. I mean, all three of these people that you look at, all three of them weren't churchgoers and kind of like, you know, a little, little about the gospel. They were far from God. Far from God. And, and when we look at the people around us, how do we look at them? Are, are you looking with, well, look, uh, uh, man, they, they're cursing. Uh, 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 uh. Or are you looking at, man, you know what? Man, God's going to get that dude. God's going to get that girl. And when he does, he's going to use them for a powerful work. And so many times we don't view things like we complain about people. See, it, it, listen, the kingdom of God, the person who's voted least likely to be used by God is the most likely. It's crazy. It, I'm telling you, it baffles me. It baffles me. When you look at it, you have people, especially in youth ministry, and all the, 
all these kids look so good, and the kids that shine the, the brightest in youth ministry usually burn out when they get into college and become burnouts later on. It's always the one you never thought would make it, the one you never thought would be good enough, the one that's always in the background, the one that was least like you're like, I never saw that dude coming. Like, like really. Like, he totally, I never saw that girl. I never thought she would be this. And that's how God works with redemption. And you've got to have those eyes like Paul where everybody is a candidate. Everybody can be used by God. And here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.27. Let me just share this with you. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. That's why if you feel like you're not qualified, you're not good enough, you're not this, you're not that, then you are a candidate for God to use you. My story, I was voted most likely to die by 25 in high school. That was the unofficial one they wouldn't let in the yearbook, right? Like, like you, know, you couldn't put that in the yearbook. But that's why I was voted. I mean, I was the kid who did all the drugs, who got all my friends doing drugs. I mean, I, would, I made fun of Christians. Like, I have friends now that are, in, that are pastors, and I'm a pastor now. And we talk about how, dude, you made so much fun of me for, you know, for, for, for standing for I was like, I know I did, and I was stupid. Nobody in school ever thought Kevin Bordeaux would not alone just be redeemed and be a Christ follower. They never thought I'd be a pastor. Uh, there was one girl... When I got saved, I was, I was in a small town. It's kind of talk of the town. It's like, hey, Kevin Bordeaux, Kevin Bordeaux got saved. He's going to church. It's like, no way. That's crazy. Like I told you, I had leopard print hair, skateboarder. Um, all the kids, you know, were, were, were more the, the, the high class kids, uh, dressed different. And so this one girl at church tells this other girl she's working with, yeah, yeah, we had a guy. Because the girl's like, I don't believe in all that church stuff. I don't believe that people really, you know, had their life changed. She's like, oh, no, no. There's this guy named Kevin, and he got saved. He stopped doing drugs and stopped drinking. She said, Kevin, who? She said, Kevin Bordeaux. She said, I don't believe it. I went, I went to high school with that guy. So you're pulling my leg. She's like, no. It's like Kevin Bordeaux. She's like, what? She said, you know what? I'm going to come to church with you just to see this. Because if, if he got saved, I believe it can happen for anybody. Now, I'm telling you my story because some of you are sitting there and either that's you or you have family members like that. And I'm telling you that God will take those people you never thought could do it. And they'll be the ones that God uses in the most mighty way. He uses the foolish things. And that's what I love here is that there was no Christ followers in Europe. And God chose three people from three different backgrounds to let us know that no one's exempt. They believed on the Lord and were saved. Here's our second point about the beauty of redemption. Our commonality as believers is redemption. And again, you might think this is so simple. It is, but we, we miss it. And you're going to miss these two points here. Our commonality of believers is redemption. See, the church at, at Philippi was a diverse church. I mean, you had slave girl delivered for demonic spirit as low, as low class as you could get, sitting next to the middle class government official who worked for the government, had good benefits. Some of y'all got that. And then you had the, the, the lady who was a fashion designer, two homes, and they all sat together in church, different backgrounds, different skin tones. And Philippi was a very diverse church, but it was the church, I believe, that Jesus loves the most. And I, I just believe this here, that our commonality in local church is not doctrine or even, even denomination. Your commonality is not that you like the same stuff. Your commonality is not that you have the same skin color, right? Our commonality as Christ followers is the fact that we have all 
been redeemed. We were all sinners, dead in sins and trespasses, and were made alive by God together. Our commonality is that we were all saved by the same blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. Our same commonality is that we had no power in ourselves to do those things, and God met us at our lowest point. That's our commonality. And and, and you know what scares me is to go into a church that is a homogenous unit. I'm scared of white churches, I'm scared of black churches, and I'm scared of Latino churches that are all homogenous. It scares me. Because you're finding commonality in something other than the gospel. And I know this sounds rough. But you're, you're, if you go to an all-white church because you are prejudiced and that's where your family's always been because you don't like to be seated with others, then you may not even be a Christ follower. I don't know. I'm not saying you're not, but I don't know. But our, our culture does not even con- connect us. It's not that we wear the same clothes and my kid you know, plays this sport. And your kid, our commonality as believers is the gospel. It's being redeemed. And that's got to be the driving point of our life is that we're all together saved. Man, we're all by the same Jesus, the same blood. And here's what Paul said in Galatians. He said in Galatians 3.26, For you were all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. This is great here in verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church at Philippi was that, right? They were diverse and their commonality was redemption. See, that's why I love Thrive. That's one of the drawing points, and we were running 20 people that, that brought me here, was we were already diverse. And the commonality I saw was the fact that the gospel had brought them all together. And friends, I'm telling you, my prayer is that we're a diverse church, and we continue to grow in diversity. And, and, and that maybe even you, maybe, you know, I think one of the things, one of the, the, the things, and if you've grown up maybe my age or younger, 33, I think the kids are coming up now, there's much different separation. But I, I think if you're, if you're 35 or younger, you can probably understand this. You grew up not having prejudice really in your heart from birth, but you kind of got ideas from daddy and granddaddy and mama and grandmama. There's some things that they taught you on, your, on, on, on their knee that wasn't really true. And I'll never forget, and I'm just going to share this story here and be open with you. I, I had a friend um, named Corey, and, and we played basketball together as little kids. And I wanted Corey to come spend a night with me. I'll never forget, I was told, well, sweetheart, he's black. You guys don't, you don't do that. I said, no. I'll, I'll never forget that. And my, my family, my mom, my name was racist, but it was so cultural. And you did not go to church together. You played basketball and football together, but you, I can't tell you how many church splits have happened because the church began to get diverse. My, the first church split I was ever a part of, I was a staff member, and I was just so naive. Our church began to grow in diversity economically and, and, and racially, and it was awesome to see it. And the old white people in that church, I'm just going to be real with you. If you can't handle it, then take some medicine, you know, go, go out and come back in. This is tough. They said, we don't, we're not supposed to worship together. This is our church, and, and, and we want to keep our children away from those other children. And we said, I think it's, we need to find somewhere else to have church at. 
because that's not what we're going to do. Friends, it's real. And for some reason, this issue of prejudice and racism is more in the church than anywhere else. We've got it out of schools and out of sports and we're doing it, we're purging it. But in the church, there's still this thing where, 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 where diversity is not looked at as beautiful. I'm telling you something. That's got to be our commonality. It cannot be that, that well, you know, the music is this way or the preacher's this way. Man, we are redeemed. And that's, and that's why you guys, that's why I love to get you guys to hug each other and connect. I love to see that. I love to see diversity. And that is what leads us to our third and final point this morning. Is this okay so far? You guys still love me? And, and, I, and I just want to say this as before I move on. I, I thank God here that I did not walk into a prejudiced or racist church because I wouldn't have come to it, number one, if I'd sensed that. I thank God that that stuff's been stamped out in, in this church. And, um, you know, it, amen. Amen. You can clap to that. Amen. It's okay. That just woke some of you up. And I thank God that even the elderly folks that are here are beautiful because they're the most excited about a diverse church here. And and we don't have to fight that stuff here. And I praise God for that. Here's your third and final point this morning, the beauty of redemption. We should never lose the awe of redemption in the community of believers. And I think that's what Paul had. He had an awe of God's redeeming work in the earth. He was just blown away. He was flabbergasted that God would work in people's hearts. He said that he was making mention for them in all his prayers upon every remembrance because of their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I mean, Paul was so excited about God working on the human heart, them responding and being saved, that he exploded in prayer. He was blown away with it. And that, he had an awe of redemption that I believe that we have lost in the church. It's, it's um, one of those things that we get excited and look for joy in everything but this in today's church. And we do. I mean, if I teach on, and, and I should give you something, either, either end times or spiritual warfare, the church would fill up. But let me teach on the beauty of redemption and, and, and three people show up to hear that. They're usually going to come to church anyway. We've literally in the church of God, we've lost the awe of redemption. We've lost the awe of God saving people and working in the human heart and transforming the human heart. Being a Christ follower isn't you just choose to go to church. It's that you respond to the call of God and your life is changed. I love it. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to tell you, I have a little weak spot in my heart, like spiritually. I cry when I see baptisms. People proclaim that I'm going to follow Jesus publicly. There's nothing more that I love than that. And so many times we, we find joy and excitement other than that. When's the last time you were really flat out happy and excited about God redeeming people and then following Christ in the local church? When's the last time you were so just blown away and you wept and cried over that? When's the last time you broke out in prayer because of that? How much of your prayer life, watch this, is fueled by and dedicated for praying for those who are new believers in Jesus Christ? That's what Paul did. We're in all of music. We're in all of light and preaching and stuff on the screen and the buildings. We're in all of seminars and teachings, but we've lost the all of redemption. And if you lose that, you'll never sustain joy. I don't care what you're trying to get joy from. You will never have sustainable joy unless you look and say, God, break my heart for the things that break your heart. And listen, here's what really matters. People far from God being filled with life in Jesus Christ. 
That's my prayer. I'm, let me just let you in. When we pray on Wednesdays, and I do that on purpose, and some of you say, well, I wish they'd do another worship set. I pray because I cry out to God that people far from God would walk in to thrive and he would do a work on their heart. I love getting emails of testimonies of people coming and saying, man, I was running. I was far from God. I came and he gripped my heart once again. And I'm in love with the Savior. I love that more than anything else. I don't get joyful because numbers are spiking and giving's good. I get joyful when I see people surrendering to God and surrendering to Christ. And so many times we make everything else the point. I had a guy, let me just say this, man, and some of you guys that will understand this. I was, I was saying this and I was just proclaiming this to a guy in ministry. And he said this to me. He said, well, if you're an evangelist of the fivefold ministry, if you're an evangelist, you love to see that stuff. If you're gifted like me, that's not my forte. Let me say it one more time because Sam John, we're sleeping. You're talking about lunch for Father's Day. He said to me, I said, man, I just love, man, seeing people redeemed. I love seeing people follow Christ. I love seeing people far from God becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. He said, that's cool. That's not only my gifting, so I, I, I'm more into prophetic and apostolic, so, I, so I, you know, I do all this stuff, and I you know, do this and do that and do all this stuff. He said, but since you're an evangelist, that's what you do. I said, oh, is that what I am? So he said, yeah, I said, here, I, I don't even respond. I don't waste my breath on those people. But here's my question. Are you really even a Christ follower, bro? If you don't like seeing people get redeemed, why did Jesus come? Not so we could have better worship services and bigger churches. He came to work in the hearts of individuals to see them redeemed and follow him fully. And that's what fueled Paul, who was an apostle. He didn't pray because he went to a, a conference on prayer. He prayed because he was so excited because people were surrendering to Jesus Christ and he was praying for them and he was in chains for them. He was beat for them, but he did not care. His joy was full because he saw that. And friends, let me just say this here. God forbid we try we start having programs and start trying to create experiences because we're no longer uh, in all of the main thing again, which is redemption. God forbid we start classes and programs and, and we're trying to fool everybody that we're really a great church. But really all we are is busy because God, we're not seeing God work in the hearts of individuals. Amen? God forbid we ever get to that point. And I've seen that. I've been part of churches. I've been on staff at churches. I've held institute programs. Excited about this new class, this program. We're spending this money on this remodeling project and nobody's getting saved. Let's just pack it up and go home if that's not going to happen. I mean, you know... We're just deeper. Our church is deeper. People just get deeper. If you get deeper than salvation, then you're probably a cult. I'm just being real. If you leave salvation and you're so deep that you never talk about it anymore, talk about the gospel and the cross, let's just quit. Everything else is icing on the cake. I love class. I love seminar. I love all that stuff. But we can't lose that. Let me just say this. Adultery starts when a husband loses all of his wife. When you forget how beautiful she was on that wedding day, how beautiful she is now. When you forget that God has given your wife as a gift, dads, fathers, and your husbands. Then you start looking to other things to fill that gap because you've lost the awe. I had a mentor tell me, he said, when you, if you ever start battling thoughts of lust, think about your wife on her wedding day and how beautiful she was coming down that aisle. And it will stomp out everything dealing with that. 
Church, let's don't be the people that are an adulterous church that's looking for everything else to fill us because we've lost what the main thing is and what God's really called us to do. Paul was full of joy. He was full of excitement because of those three people being saved, Lydia, the jailer, and the slave girl. We close with this story. There was a gathering of friends at an English estate that nearly turned tragic. This young boy fell into a pond. And the gardener jumped to the pond and pulled this young boy out of the pond. And the young boy's name was Winston Churchill. And, 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 and the parents of Winston Churchill asked this gardener of their estate, what can we do for you for saving our, our child's life, for, for pulling him from, from, that, from death? He says, I only ask one thing, help my child go to college. Give us the money so he can actually go to college. Years later, Winston Churchill is suffering from pneumonia and suffering from some other sicknesses when he was the Prime Minister of England and a doctor showed up to his doorstep. And the doctor's name was Alexander Fleming to help develop penicillin. And he gave Winston, Sir Winston Churchill the medicine he needed to keep going. And Churchill said, I've never thought that I needed to owe my life to someone twice for saving me from places I couldn't save myself. That story is awesome, but can I tell you, your story is just as beautiful to God. He pulled you, he saved you, he redeemed you. And friends, let me tell you, I want you to Google Earth this week yourself. And say, man, when I go into the 7-Eleven, that lady there is qualified for redemption. God over here looks so far, God could use him. And have those eyes where you are looking like the Terminator, knowing that God's getting ready to use you. And look at the ones who are further from God, the ones who are in the bars, the ones that are, that are doing all those things. If you will, bow your head and close your eyes this morning.